How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. I'm Jimmy Evans, co-host of the Marriage Today podcast. Today we have a great teaching for you that I pray helps you to grow your marriage and blesses you as you seek to center your marriage on Christ. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to be notified of every new show. God bless you. This is God's perfect plan. Number two. Number one is it makes us attractive to each other. Number two, the roles in Ephesians 5 release the potential in our spouse. Okay, So marriage is a win-win proposition. When you do marriage properly, both spouses win from this and we reach our potential. Now, we can't reach our potential without marriage. Now, there's an exception to that and I'll talk about it in just a minute. The reason I know that is because God in Genesis 1 made everything that he made and he said it was very good except for one thing. In Genesis 2.18, he said, it's not good for that man to be alone. He looked at Adam by himself and says, that's not good. A 48-year-old married man has a 90% chance of reaching the age of 65. A 48-year-old single man has a 60% chance of reaching the age of 65. Men are profoundly better off with women in their lives. Because okay? women are the ones shoving vitamins at you all the time. <laughs> Women are the ones telling you to slow down. And so when you're driving, and so but we, we're riskier, we, have risk, we, we just need women. And so the point is, if we could reach our potential on our own, God wouldn't have created marriage. Now, there are about 7% of the population is called to be single. There are some people that God just called them to be single. They're special, like Jesus, like the apostle Paul, it's a special calling for a special group of people. The vast majority of people you're wired for marriage because you need marriage to bring you to your full potential. Okay, so let me talk about that for just a minute. So men, uh, Ephesians 5 says men are to nourish and cherish their wives. Those are agricultural terms. The word nourish means to feed to maturity, like a tree. You feed it until it grows to maturity. The word cherish means to keep warm. It means you keep it from freezing. And so we're supposed, like Christ does for us, we're supposed to nourish and cherish our wives. A good husband is a good greenhouse. A greenhouse is, an, is a protected environment of nurture where it's protected from any outside force that would come and hurt that rather than being exposed to the outside elements. A good husband is a green, good greenhouse. We nourish and cherish our wives. And so the number one job of a husband is to bring his wife to her full potential. Why did God create your wife in her mother's womb? You are God's partner to bring her to her full potential of being a stay-at-home mom, being an astronaut, being an astrophysicist, being a teacher, being a worship leader, being a, whatever it is that God wants her to be. You're God's partner to do that. Well, when Karen and I got married, I was a male chauvinist pig. I came out of a family of male chauvinism. And so, and male chauvinism is men are better than women. And that's what I believe. I mean, when Karen and I got married, I just thought she's married to Mr. Wonderful. She's blessed, first of all. <laughs> to be married to Mr. Wonderful, and she gets to come along for the ride. I mean, she gets to be there when I live my life, and she gets to pick up after me and take care of me and all that kind of stuff. I thought that's great. So um, she didn't, but I did. And my grandfather and that entire side of my family, they were just extremely chauvinistic. 
My grandfather never did anything for himself. My grandmother did every single thing for him. Uh, when, when, by the way, when he would be like get out of coffee, uh, he would just reach over and thump his coffee cup. And my grandmother would jump up and get him more coffee. And I thought two things. I thought, A, that's of the Lord. <laughs> and B, I want one of those. <laughs> and so Karen and I got married. And uh, one time, I was like 20 years old, we first got married. And I was like drinking some iced tea and I was almost out and I reached over and thumped my iced tea glass. And she said, you better be killing the fly there, pal. <laughs> See, she never trained well. I kept trying to train her, she never trained well. But I was a male chauvinist pig. And I just thought marriage is about me and Karen is just you know, lucky enough to be married to Mr. Wonderful. And one day I woke up and I realized it wasn't all about me. And uh, that I, the most precious gift that God ever gave to me is Karen Evans. Yes. The most precious gift that God ever gives a man is his wife. Yes. And one day we're gonna stand in account. And God's gonna hold us accountable for did you nourish and cherish her and bring her to her fullest potential or did you use her? Was she just there? Was she your footstool? Or did you nourish and cherish her? Now, early in our marriage, I would not have been able to stand before Jesus uh, and given an account the way that I would today. I would have been very ashamed to be able to tell the Lord, I just you know, verbally beat her down, I emotionally beat her down and I used her. Today I can tell you, I can stand before God confidently today and say, Karen Evans is every single thing you created her to be and I was your partner in making that happen. And it's mainly because of Karen. It's not mainly because of me. It's mainly because of Karen and just the relationship she has with God. But it's my responsibility to nourish and cherish her until she becomes everything that she's supposed to become. Marriage is a win-win proposition. Women don't lose and men don't lose. Everyone gains. Let me talk about women for just a minute. And so um, God's role for women tells her to respect her husband. Ephesians 5, 22, submit to your husband. That's an attitude of, of respect. Proverbs 31 is talking about the excellent wife and it says that her husband is an elder in the gates of the city because of her. This, it's attributing this to her. Her husband became an elder in the city because of her. It's called the cork principle. You can put a cork in the bottom of like a vase with no water in it, it's just gonna lay there. You can yell at it, you can shame it, you can criticize it, it's just gonna lay there. But if you pour water into the vessel, the cork rises to the level of the water a man will rise to the level of respect he gets. Okay. And that's not saying all his behavior is your responsibility. What it's saying is that's the profound importance of respect in a man's life. And it's saying the excellent wife, her husband became an elder because of the way she treated him. She was God's partner in bringing him to that place that God wanted him to be. It says in 1 Peter 3 that Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, this is, a, this is a challenging thing. And so a lot of women would say, well, you know, I could, I could you know, submit to Abraham calling him Lord. You know, he's the father of the faith. Well, see, Abraham had a, a serious problem. And first of all, Sarah was so beautiful that every time they went into a new country, now think about what I'm about to say. Every time they went into a new country, Abraham knew as soon as the king of this country finds out how hot Sarah is, He's going to want to marry her. Think about that. And so every time they went into a new country, Abraham would turn to Sarah and say, don't say you're my wife, say you're my sister. In other words, lie, honey. 
twice because she did that, a king took Sarah into his home to become his wife. And it took an act of God to keep God from killing a bunch of people. And so in other words, Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord, even though he had a problem with lying and cowardice, okay? And so I told Karen, by the way, I said, you know, Karen, this is the 21st century. You don't need to be calling me Lord. <laughs> Something like, oh, great one's fine with me. I'm a very humble person, I'm sure you can tell. A good wife is a good cheerleader. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. A good husband is a good greenhouse. A good wife is a good cheerleader. And here's, I don't know about women's sports, but in men's sports, we really like cheerleaders uh, for a couple of reasons. One is they're just always positive. Cheerleaders never get negative. They're just, they're, they're there to celebrate. They're set on celebrate. They're looking for anything to celebrate. The littlest thing they're looking to celebrate. The other thing we like about cheerleaders is they know how to say negative things in positive ways. Like the football team's just getting slaughtered. And cheerleaders, they say, defense, defense, defense. Hold that line, hold that line. They don't say, you bunch of sissies, would you tackle somebody? My grandmother could have caught that guy on a walker. Good grief. So they're so positive. A, a man will slide down a mountain of razor blades to land in a lake of lemon juice to hear one idiot say, you're the man. And he'll go do it again. We don't need, we just don't need security the way that women need security. We become in an atmosphere of respect. Respect me and I'll do anything for it. Okay. Respect releases our superpowers. Disrespect is our kryptonite. And so women become in an atmosphere of nourishing and cherishing. Men become in an atmosphere of respect. That's exactly what Ephesians 5 says. So not only... Do, do the roles in Ephesians 5 attract us to each other? We both grow and become in that atmosphere. Okay, so this is uh, number three, is the roles in Ephesians 5 disable our sin natures and keep them from destroying our marriage. Now we have a sin nature. Well, all of us have a sin nature. Adam and Eve fell, they rebelled against God, and we have inherited their sin nature. And, and our basic sin nature is just rebellion to God. But Adam and Eve sinned in different ways. One of the reasons that the roles in Ephesians 5 
are different for men and women is because Adam and Eve sinned in different ways. So when you do what Ephesians 5 says, it crucifies your sin nature and keeps it from destroying your marriage. And by the way, if you can't do what Ephesians 5 says, your sin nature is controlling you, okay? And so, and by the way, when you hear Ephesians 5 read and that thing kind of rises up in you, that's your sin nature. So Eve, let me talk about Adam and Eve for just a minute. Eve, uh, she sinned first. They both sinned, she sinned first. So the devil came up and began to tempt Eve, slid it in the garden in the form of a serpent, began to tempt Eve, and Eve talked to the devil. Now, Adam's standing right there. How do we know Adam's standing right there? Because she ate fruit and handed it to him. He was standing right there. Also, God lived with Adam and Eve in paradise. He lived with them. And he was about to walk up. How do we know that? Because they sinned and he walked up. So all Eve had to do was to say, the devil's down there saying, you know, God's a liar. He, he's a big bully. And if you eat of the fruit of that tree over there, you're going to be better off. All she had to do is to say, that's very interesting. I've never heard that before. Please let me consult with my husband. And please let me talk to God about this in just a minute. Get back with me. She didn't do that. Eve ate the fruit without ever talking to her husband and God. Women's sin nature is relational independence. Feeling as though that you can act without the outside input of your husband or maybe even God. It's independence. Uh, so the Bible says to women, don't act without your husband. You, you submit to your husband just like you would Jesus Christ. Don't act, don't act without your husband's blessing any more than you would act without God's blessing. You're equals, you're complete equals, but you're also together as one. So don't act independently of your husband. So uh, Adam uh, sinned in a different way. So Adam is over here. Remember in Genesis 1, Adam has been commanded to take dominion over every creeping thing that crept on the earth. That's specifically what God said to them in Genesis 1. And by the way, did you know when God said that to them, he was giving them a heads up of how Satan was gonna attack them? He was basically just telling them he's gonna come to this. So Adam is standing right here. His wife is being seduced by Satan in the form of a serpent. What does Adam do? Just... <laughs> he's watching ESPN, Eden Sports Network. <laughs> Nothing. He did, he's just... Relational apathy is our sin nature. Men check out. 95% of all marriage counseling is initiated by women. Because men check out. That's what we do. It's interesting. Ephesians 5 says twice as much to men as it does to women. You sacrificially nourish and cherish her. You lay your life down for her. You take care of her the way you would, you would your own body. And so when a man does what Ephesians 5 says, it crucifies that apathy. When a wife does what uh, Ephesians 5 says, it crucifies that independence. Our sin nature dies and we're able to go forward. Without that, Satan is constantly accessing our sin nature to destroy our relationship. And there's one other thing here, and that is the roles in Ephesians 5, they sensitize us to naturally meet our spouse's needs. Now, the mega need of men is respect. The mega need of women is security. When a, when a man says, I accept Ephesians 5 is the standard of my behavior, and to the best of my ability, God helping me, I am going to nourish and cherish my wife, and I'm going to sacrificially love her. When a man says that, he automatically meets her need for security. In 40 years of counseling, I'm telling you, unmet needs is the number one reason for marriage counseling. You're not meeting each other's needs. Why? Because you're not doing the right thing. You're not doing what the Bible says. So when a man says this, I'm gonna sacrificially meet her needs, he's gonna naturally do this. When a woman says, 
I accept Ephesians 5 as the standard for my behavior in the marriage, not what my parents did, not what I see on TV, not what I see in the movies. I accept what the Bible says is my standard. She's gonna naturally respect her husband and meet his need for honor. Let me say one other thing, I'll close. Everything you say to your spouse has got to be encrypted properly if you're gonna be able to communicate to each other and meet each other's deepest needs. Let me give you an example of this. When a husband is communicating with his wife, regardless of what you're saying to her, it's got to make her feel secure. That's the number one goal of all of your communication to your wife. So regardless of what the conversation is about, here's what she needs to hear from you. You're the number one person in my life except for Jesus Christ. There's nothing I won't do for you. I will sacrifice anything or anyone, but I won't sacrifice you and I will crawl through cut glass for 10 miles to make sure you're okay. That's the tone of my voice when I'm talking to Karen. Karen and I, when you've been married as long as we have, you have code language. <laughs> you just use a few words to say what you want to say. So our code language is, are you okay? I'll say to Karen, are you okay? We say this every now and then to each other, are you okay? That's what, here's what that means. If you're not okay, the world stops. If you're not okay, I will do anything to make sure you're okay. If you're a woman and you're talking to your husband, regardless of what the conversation is, there has to be a tone of respect. You're his equal, you can say anything you wanna say, but everything you say needs to be encrypted like this. I believe in you. You're a good man. I'm so glad I'm married to you. I'm so glad I chose you. I'm on your side. That's what he needs to hear. You've got what it takes. And when you're speaking, regardless of what you're saying, that's the tone of your voice. You're gonna meet the most important need that your spouse has. You're gonna be attractive to them. You're both gonna rise to the level that God wants you to become in your destiny before God and you'll crucify your sin nature. I'm saying to you, God has a perfect plan for marriage. It's found in Ephesians chapter five. And I'm saying it will work for every single person. It will work for you. Don't let the devil come and tell you you can't make it in marriage. Don't come and let the devil tell you you've got a 50% chance of success or failure in marriage. You have a 100% chance of success in marriage. Well, bow your heads with me and let me pray for you. Father, thank you for these precious people this wonderful, wonderful church. Bless this church and these people. For every single and divorced person here, I pray that you'll give them hope today, that this message will give them hope, that they can be successfully married for the rest of their lives and you'll bless it. For every married couple here today, I pray you'll give them hope too. Repair their hearts, bring them closer together than they've ever been before and let Ephesians 5 be our guide as we go forward. In Jesus' name, amen.